Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Why is the gospel good news to absolutely everyone? Is it really Let's talk about that today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And today we're back with this month's special co-host, Mariah. Mariah, welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, Mariah, I love talking with you. I've loved um, recording these episodes with you. And I wanted, if you're okay with it, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about Psalm 34, and what happened yeah. since the last time we recorded? I just read it too. Oh my gosh, this is perfect. <laughs> um, yes. So I found it really interesting. Um, after we finished our last recording, I had been talking about how every time I just kind of read the Bible, I kind of felt fake about it or as if I was like forcing myself to do it. It's a bit different than just reading other books, I suppose, because I grew up as, I was a reader growing up, so reading is my thing, but for whatever reason, the Bible, I kind of almost feel like I have to push myself towards it. Anyways, I decided to just read some stuff after we finished recording, and I was flipping through the Psalms, and the first one that jumped out at me is um, Psalm 34, which is basically just talking about how God is good, which I thought was really interesting, because the entire conversation we had just recorded was going over the fact that most of my questions we're just questioning God's character mm. and if he was really good. So I thought it was really interesting that that answer just kind of jumped out at me. Mm. That is so cool. Yeah, you. I think you messaged me and said, hey, you know how I said there wasn't really anything? <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, Psalm 34. So I thought that was so cool. And I'm just truly loving your authenticity, your willingness to have these conversations and to make time for it. I know you work night shift and... Um, mm. This comes at a personal cost for you. <laughs> it's fine. I don't have work tonight. So, and even then I, I got sleep this time. I'm You're okay. Good. Okay, good. Cause we've awesome. got good questions for today. Um, friend, if you're listening, I'm so glad that you are here for season four where you may know that I've been inviting co-hosts and guests on to share their individual stories and also asking guests to address some of my co-hosts, honest questions and share their own personal stories. And listen, if you haven't already listened to Mariah share her personal story and questions that she has about Christianity on the podcast, I encourage you to please go back and take a listen. Um, We'll make sure that there's a link to the different show notes, um, or I'm sorry, to the different episodes. But the bottom line is, 
I don't think I've scared her away just yet. Um, and friend, I also, <laughs> I want to take uh, some uh, a moment to thank um, one of our special Patreon supporters today. Thank you to Tim and Bree Jeffries. Your prayers and support of what we're doing here on the Finding Something Real podcast really matter. And friend, if you want to become a patron, we have a bunch of perks for those who support this ministry, including stickers. I love the stickers. And there's a special uh, bonus content that you get when you sign up, including a bonus episode each month where my co-host and I um, have just a really raw conversation about what this journey was like for her. And your financial support helps keep the show going. And more information can be found on my website at findingsomethingreal.com. So today we are excited to welcome back a very special guest. He originally came to this podcast, highly recommended by my good friend, Kristen DeGrossier, but he was back or he was on this podcast back in March, talking with my then co-host Lou from Italy and myself about his radical story of surrender. Um, my current co-host Mariah, I believe has listened to his episode twice now. So she is familiar with the story. <laughs> she has listened to it multiple times. She is going to have good questions for this guest. I actually just total transparency here. I think I have received more feedback on that episode than I have from any episode that aired wow. um, this year. Um, and please go back and listen to it. Cause we're going to be talking maybe briefly about that, but talking about some other things here as well. Um, but he shared then how his story stands in stark contrast to the cr current cultural narrative about sexual identity, demonstrating instead what Christ can do for a broken life submitted to his Lordship. He's a pastor at living waters church in Medford, Oregon, and released his first book. Are we there yet in 2018 drew and his wife, Suzanne have been married since 2004 and together they have the joy of raising their three daughters. So drew Berryessa, welcome back to the finding something real podcast. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. Oh, well, it's a joy to have you back. And I was so excited, Drew, because um, after we recorded last time, but before we did Instagram Live um, a few weeks later after that, so back in March, I found out that you are married to um, somebody that I've met. And not only that, but um, so back in the early 2000s when Mariah I don't want to age myself, but I was your age. Um, one of my closest <laughs> friends, one of my closest and dearest friends I met at church, and she was just this beautiful light in my life. We've lost touch over the years, um, but she she and I were kindred spirits. Um, we shared a love for like giving gifts and um, like words and um, just a really, really special friend in my life, Stephanie Heath. And Drew, I found out that you married her sister, which I just I thought was crazy. <laughs> Oh. Such a small world, right? Isn't that crazy? So that made me love you even more. <laughs> I mean, first awesome. you had Kristen, then you came on and loved Lou, then you married, uh, you know, Stephanie's sister. I'm pretty much, I mean, I like you a lot. <laughs> well, thank you. The feeling is mutual, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it was such a small world. And like I said, Drew, I've gotten a lot of feedback on your last episode, um, primarily from Christians who uh, just said, thank you for this. I, I didn't know how to respond prior to this. This has been really helpful. Um, but one of the things that you and I discussed in the live that I just thought would be great to um, touch on before we get diving into a conversation here with Mariah, um, you have a kind of a controversial ministry. Oh, and yeah. it's hard 
So I'm just wondering, what are the hardest parts of what you do? Would you briefly share what you do and why why it's hard? Sure. Um, wow. Wrapping all that up in a quick <laughs> little soundbite. Okay. You can um, be bigger than that. You yeah, were created yeah. on purpose for purpose, by the way. I steal that yes, all I the was. time. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, my ministry uh, evolved from first, for the first uh, maybe 15 years of ministry that I was in was discipling men and women who were struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction and gender identity issues. And so um, that is controversial enough, (laughs) but I was involved in that ministry for my own struggle with same-sex attraction and uh, having left a gay identity and relationship when I was around 19 years old. And so I got involved with that ministry through my own discipleship process. And from there have now started a ministry helping equip the church to respond to the issues that we're facing with LGBTQ, um, all of that, and knowing how to respond as the church in truth and love, Mm -hmm. representing Christ well to a community that the church has not represented Christ well to. And so that's in a nutshell what I do. Oh my gosh. So what's hard about that? (laughs) Oh, gee, you know, there's, you know, there's a number of things that are hard about that. I think the first thing is that there is legitimate pain and hurt in the LGBTQ community from the church. And often, you know, whether, you know, when, when we as the church believe in a traditional view of sexuality and marriage, there's this unfortunate self-righteousness that can seep in to our responses because we're right but we haven't always incarnated and, and lived out our beliefs rightly to another community and other communities. And so one of the challenges of that is just helping the church own up and say, no, we haven't done this right. Even if we have been right in our position, we haven't incarnated that right. So it's like the difference between orthodoxy or orthopraxy, what you believe and how you live it out. And so um, that's challenging. I think the second part is that uh, it, what I do goes against the current narrative of culture. And honestly, it's a, it's a convoluted narrative uh, because in, in many respects, the views on sexuality are that sexuality is very fluid, that you can choose or you can, you can move and shift in your identity and in your, your orientation often. Um, and that's encouraged in culture when we're moving towards LGBTQ. But if someone moves from LGBTQ to what's considered more heteronormative or anything, there's a great deal of, of pushback against that idea, even though fluidity in either way is a demonstrated scientific fact. One of the challenges I think, and, and one of the reasons why this is difficult is because to acknowledge that fluidity stands in direct opposition to some of the tenets that maybe gay rights and gay uh, civil protections have been based on, that this is immutable and unchangeable. And, you know, I get it. I get the reasoning for those arguments and I get the pushback because when someone like me says, well, this was my life, here's what, what's happened, what the Lord has done in my life. It can, it can, you know, in the past testimonies like mine have been weaponized against the gay community, Hmm. basically saying, since you can change, you don't need these protections or rights, which I believe is the wrong path for the church. And which is another thing that makes it more challenging is you know, I, I'm not an enemy to the gay community, and I would be the first to say, let's protect the dignity and, and free will and the choices of individuals who believe what they do about their life and their choices. But 
Um, unfortunately, in the church, we get threatened by that, and sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad, but it's challenging and difficult, so whatever. <laughs> wow. I mean, said a lot of things there, so... So is it fair to say that it can be a lonely road, what you do? Because it sounds like you're in the church, you're talking to church people, but you really, I mean, you've lived, a, you, you've been in a gay relationship. Your brother, right, is, uh, is married brother. to a man. Um, yep. You speak all the time. Uh, you're just, you have such an incredible testimony, Drew. I mean, you've been uniquely planted in this ministry, but... Is that lonely sometimes to be where you're at? Yeah, because I think there's misunderstanding on both sides of the spectrum, which leaves a very narrow middle people who sometimes get it or get me. And so it can be it can be lonely and it can be difficult to be misrepresented on both ends of that. And, uh, you know, but that's the tension in the middle of truth and love is always difficult. Like if you're not experiencing tension, you're probably not living the gospel well. And so yeah, it can be lonely and can it be difficult, but it's what God has called me to. So here I am. Yeah. Yeah. I have a list of questions. I think it's really just deciding where to go. Can you guys still hear me? It's my internet's kind of, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there's many directions I can go, I guess. To start. So I know that you were going through this in the nineties which I feel like is definitely even though culture is shifting to be more acceptable and more like it is today I think it's still very drastically different from where it is today mm-hmm. and I know that I'm around the age that you were do you think that it would have been different if you were my age now versus in the 90s you know that's a really fair question and yeah definitely there would have been differences for sure um, but there was a lot of, even in the 90s, there was a movement of like the pro-gay church, pro-Christian, pro-gay Christian movement that the arguments for it were exactly the same back then, just packaged a little differently. People weren't, you know, sharing the ideas on YouTube because it did not exist. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you Dinosaurs. Get, get, right, right. Kind of old. Um, so the information and the ideology was still the same, and there was a lot more, um, a lot more in the late '90s of just visibility of the gay community and a lot more social acceptance. So like you had Ellen DeGeneres coming out back when I was in high school, and actually, you know, really, really beginning to get some traction on her career um, and becoming a mainstream vision of what a lesbian was, and not an offensive, angry lesbian, but one everyone loves. And so that was the late 90s. You had Will and Grace, the TV show that, you know, kind of very normalized um, homosexual relationships and individuals. And that's been happening a long time. So yeah, there would have been some differences because there would have been a lot more ideas coming at me through a lot of more platforms, which is just the case for everyone your age as opposed to my age. You're dealing with a lot more information overload. But the sentiments and the laws were not were not that much different. Like by the time I was in my relationship, there were already domestic partnership laws that were in a lot of different states and a lot more acceptability towards this. Now, I also have a gay uncle who's about in the 70s and tells stories of very different cultural experiences of coming out and establishing a gay identity. So um, if I were to contrast my experience to his in the 60s and 70s, it would have been very different. But 
Um, I think the main differences right now um, between when I grew up and when I was in, in it and where you are now, Mariah, is just that there's a lot more information. There's a lot more um, acceptability to the spectrum, whereas before it would have been like gay, lesbian, bi, maybe once in a while you have transgender expression, but now it's like very big across the, the all the colors of the rainbow are are very represented and very visible now. So somewhat different. Um, but theologically, I think I would come to the same conclusions, just what I, what I, my, my investigation into the Bible, the claims of the Bible, and my own experience with what I did and what, and, and what I encountered in my exploration of the gay community. And so, although there would have been a, a lot more information to wade through, I probably, I think, personally would have come to the same conclusions I came to. So, if that answers your question. <laughs> okay. I think it does. <laughs> and then my next question kind of verging off of that, and I don't know if this can be too personal or kind of like oh, go ahead. for your Anything. brother. Um, why do you think you and your brother kind of went to opposite sides of yeah. conclusion with this? Because I know you said he's also a Christian. So why do you think, mm. do you think there was just different variables for you two that led you to kind of come to like the opposite decisions or? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that there's an enormous amount of variables in each person. So like if you even look at personality type or learning styles mm -hmm. or, or relational styles, introvert versus extrovert, or even like the Enneagram, you know, what's, what's motivating an individual towards their conclusions, what are their core fears, all of that. So one of the differences between my brother and I is that, um, you know, for me, I was open about my struggle when I was around 18 years old and not, but not by like open about my struggle, mm -hmm. but, way more open than he was where he didn't admit to even being anywhere in this realm until, you know, until I was already married. So there was a large period of time where he was not talking to anybody about what he was dealing with internally. And I was talking to everybody about what I was dealing with. So that's two very different realities. And because of that, because I was open and vulnerable and honest about what I was dealing with, I also was letting a lot more feedback into my life. So there were people that were giving me their perspective of pro-gay arguments, and then there was people that were giving me their perspective of their transformational experience. And I was able to absorb it all, whereas my brother was very much, I think, on the peripheral, just in Bible college, hiding his struggle and, and not really letting people speak into it. And mm -hmm. so I think there's a very real big difference when um, when we limit the number of voices that can come into our life and inform our worldview versus when we're just like, okay, let everyone bring what they have to me so I can sort it all out. And that's mm -hmm. where I was. And from my perspective, that's where my brother was. He was just kind of in a different, more isolated down environment. So yeah, it affected us differently. Um do you still have attraction to men? Like, is that something that you still deal with or is it kind of something that's changed over time? Well, that's a really good question. And uh, I think I want to answer that question by kind of talking a bit about what the nature of attraction is. Mm -hmm. Because we, we get, you know, these messages from culture that tell us that every attraction is either sexual in nature or means something about our sexual orientation. One of the things that was super helpful for me real early in my journey, and I write about it in my book, if you ever are interested in a light read. Well, I have a question about your book, but it's <laughs> Totally. We, we can get there, yeah. So 
uh, one of the things was just understanding the difference of what attraction is. Like, am I attracted to someone sexually or am I attracted to their personality or am I attracted to their sense of humor? Because we base our friendships on what we are attracted to just as much as we base romantic relationships in that. So wrestling through that and understanding the nature of attraction was really important to me to understand, am I just, do I just want a friend or am I envious of this person's characteristics or is there actual like sexually attracted to this person? And even in that regard, you know, understanding the difference between ugly and beautiful is just really important too. Knowing that, you know, you can not want to have sex with something and recognize that they're attractive, like that they're more pretty than someone else. And so wrestling through that, I'll, I'll answer your question now very directly. I have no sexual attraction to men at this point in my life. I do recognize someone who's more physically attractive than someone who's like really ugly, mm -hmm. but I think everyone can recognize that. And at one point in my life, I would have looked at that ability to recognize those two things mm -hmm. and thought that that meant that I was sexually attracted when really I just have eyes and I can tell the difference between ugly and, and handsome. So I don't have any desire to have sex with any man if, <laughs> ever again. Um, I have incredible friendships with men. I have um, best friends. I have, you know, confidence that I have and I have absolutely no desire to go to bed with any of them. <laughs> Um, the only person I want to have sex with is my wife, which I think is a victory. <laughs> I think that's usually what you want to hear from a married Norm person. <laughs> that's the goal, you know? So real quick, can I jump in there? Drew, like we, we talked to Zach on this podcast, Mariah and I, a couple of weeks ago, very, very awesome young man, um, who was open about the fact that God has not taken away those attractions that he has towards yeah. men um, and he's asked him to but it's just right I'm sure yeah. you've talked to people who are in that place oh totally and I was in that place for a long time as well okay. where and you know and and here's the thing is like we have to understand that God deals differently with each person and and every person has a different journey that, that God is leading them on and so for me like I'm the Lord had in mind that I would have a family and have a wife and have kids and I don't know that he doesn't have that in mind for, for Zach. I don't know what the timing is. I know that the journey that I went on, um, one of the reasons why those, strugg those struggles didn't go away when I asked for them to go away, uh, something the Lord revealed to me about it is that they were just symptomatic of other things that God wanted to address in my life. And so when, you know, I would pray, God, take these struggles away from me, and he wouldn't, and I get frustrated. But then when I started leaning into saying, okay, well, let me look at the attractions that I'm having and what are they telling me about places in my life that maybe the Lord wants to bring some maturity or some healing to. And so as I shifted my perspective away from, I just want these feelings to go away to more like, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me through them? That really gained a lot of traction in my life and mm -hmm. began transforming the way that I, I looked at things and transformed my, my struggles. Now, I'm not saying that that's what God's going to do with everybody. I think that there are people that I've known over the years that, you know, they've spent 20, 30, 40 years surrendering their sexuality to Jesus. Their attractions have not gone away, but they lived very full lives with Jesus and very, very complete lives outside of having those feelings transformed. So, you know, I think the Lord has a lot of room for all of that in his kingdom. And I think that there is great benefit in valuing the individual stories and processes of people. Because I know that where I am right now, I can minister effectively to a lot of people, but 
There's one thing that I can't speak to as well as someone like Zach could is that faithfulness in the midst mm. of that continued struggle. And, you know, Paul wrote about it in the scripture, you know, this thorn in my flesh, I asked the Lord to remove it three times. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't, you know, it, it not every thorn gets removed. Sometimes we have to deal with things on an ongoing basis. For me, that isn't the sexual struggle so much as things like anxiety, Lord, I have dealt with anxiety my entire life, and I probably will till the day that Jesus beams me up. And I'll probably be afraid when that happens. I'm like, are we really going? You know? <laughs> so I will wrestle with some of that stuff because that's just deeper for me and, and something that I have to trust the Lord with when I am afraid or when I'm anxious. And so, mm. you know. Well, never just, say never. I mean, you never you say know. never. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this kind of goes more to your book. Um, I was kind of reading a general synopsis, so I could be entirely wrong with like what I'm about to ask (laughs) I don't think so though um but basically from what I was reading it said one of the things that was kind of discussed is how um being gay or just sexuality is different from other sins or I haven't read the book at all but could you just kind of elaborate on that point Sure. (laughs) sure one of the points I make is that it's not any worse than any other sin. Every sin separates us from God. That's that's all there is to it. Uh, sin wrecks relationship with us with God. The difference is sexual sins have different natural consequences than other sins. Like when I was a kid, I stole cookies from the cookie jar all the time. Like there were very different consequences to that sin than to my sexual relationship with a guy. Whereas you know, I could buy new cookies or make new cookies and put them in the jar and everything's good and right. I don't have to struggle with that. But the memories that I have of my relationship with my boyfriend, those don't go away. Like the, the, the hurt that sometimes occurs with sexual sin where like my parents divorced and the, the unfaithfulness and all the stuff that happened around that in sexuality, that affects me still today. You know, it's one of the reasons that I deal with anxiety. Uh, I've known friends that have been raped. Like you don't just say you're sorry and make it all better from from rape. That carries a long-term consequence. I've had friends who have had abortions that, you know, that carries a long-term consequence for them emotionally. You know, sin is sin. God forgives sin. But the the ongoing consequence or the regret or the shame or the the feelings of, of despair over those things, they last a long, long time. It's It's just different. And so I think it's one of the reasons why God clarifies in scripture that, you know, other sins you commit outside the body, but with sexual sin, you commit against your own body. And that has a large implication for just our memory, our neural responses, our fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses, and all those things that are naturally hardwired in us, but then have different realities when we experience sexual sin and sex outside of God's intention for marriage. So that's, that's what I mean by that. A lot of information in one answer. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, but I saw that and I thought it was really interesting. So I think that's something that I've definitely asked is just why is it different? Because, you know, there's so many sins. Why is this one? So it seems like it's very hyper-focused. And I know that we kind of talked about that before with Zach and just how it ties into identity and that makes it a bigger issue. Yeah. Um, I think when we look at scripture and we see severe warnings like that, often I feel like we mistranslate those as sternness from the Lord when really it's just concern for us. Like it's this, it's not like a threat. It's more an observation of like these things hurt you differently. 
not because he's making them, but because he made us and he knows how the inner workings of our hearts and our minds and our souls work. And sex, you know, in our culture, it's, it's this weird dichotomy where it's like, how you identify sexually is the most important thing about you in the whole wide world. But then what you do with it has no consequence whatsoever. It's like that you can be gay or trans is so super important. Don't take that right away. But, but don't think for a minute that how you then live that sexuality out is going to affect you. It's just inconsequential. It doesn't make sense. If, if sex is something so incredibly valuable, then what we do with it has impact. And it, it's important. And so I think that's why the scriptures double down on sexual sin, not because it's trying to be, you know, a killjoy or trying to make us mm -hmm. feel bad if we have sexual feelings outside of this, but just as a great warning from the Lord of like, this will hurt you. So don't do it. You know, it's, I, I experienced that with my kids a lot where I'm like, that's a bad choice, you know, <laughs> and I'm looking at what they're doing. And it's not because I'm trying to pronounce judgment on them, but rather to warn them of like, that's going to hurt. Please don't do that. Mm -hmm. So I, I view that as the scriptural responses to, to sexuality very similarly. Okay. Um, so, and this kind of goes to one of my questions about um, if it's already been forgiven, why not do it? So I know you kind of addressed, like with your concerns for your brother, it was more of, I can't promise where you're gonna end up basically. But if it's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to word this. Do you think that that forgiveness is enough to forgive a lifestyle like that? And I know mm. that's kind of an unknown, but if it's already forgiven, wouldn't that kind of counteract it? Even if it is kind of, well, not kind of, but even if it is a continued thing, wouldn't that also counteract it? That's a great In question. A <laughs> I loved your episode, by the way. You were asking some like bombshell questions <laughs> that I was like, oh, I want to answer these. Oh, you know. <laughs> She's really yeah, good at asking. I was so excited when I got to talk to you. Uh, I know Janelle gave me two different people. I want to say the other person's name was Brenna. I might be wrong. I'm going to feel so bad if I'm wrong. But and then it was also your episode, and I had listened to it twice. And then I even thought in my head, I hope I talk to this person. <laughs> like, I was super excited, and I was like, I want to talk to this person. Like, that's one of the reasons I was like, I want to talk to this person. But I never even asked Janelle. I didn't ask to talk to you. And it happened, so... <laughs> Hooray! I'm excited. <laughs> well, to answer your question, uh, which is an excellent question, and I think you know one of the cop-out ways I could answer it is that you know the scripture says, you know, do we continue to sin that the grace of God might increase? By no means. Like Apostle Paul already tells us, don't continue to sin after you know Jesus, because that's that's a bad that's a bad plan. I think more on the psychological and the human aspect of why. And and yes, I did say that to my brother of like. Because what the scripture says is those who practice these things, meaning make a lifestyle of these things, pursue these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you can either look at that as like eternity, or you can look at that in terms of what the kingdom of God is doing in and through me now, right now in my life. And so one of the things, one of the reasons why I would strongly caution about continued sin is, you know, for those scriptural reasons, but also the way that we live our lives affect us profoundly. It affects our perceptions. It affects our decision-making. It affects our character. And so I know that when I was involved in, like I loved Jesus, but I was struggling with pornography and looking at pornography all the time and deeply addicted to it. And I was in this ambivalent place of like, 
well, it's not as bad as going out and having sex with someone else, you know, because I'm not involving another person physically, but I'm also involving the person on the screen, which, you mm -hmm. know, is the we can get into the logistics of that. But when I was involved in this, it was affecting me profoundly. I was angry all the time. I was short tempered. I was I was making bad decisions about like just different aspects of my life because the addiction was controlling me and it was very, very bad for my heart and very, very bad for my personality and very, very bad for my relationships and very bad for my relationship with God. Because instead of relating to God in a way that was uh, communing with him and feeling his presence and being taught by his spirit, I was constantly feeling dirty every time I went to the Lord. So even though I knew that he would forgive me, like I kept coming to him in this place of like, here I am again, Lord, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Rather than like being able to relate to God and be transformed by his presence and his character. And, you know, the, the scripture says that you sow to please the flesh, from the flesh you reap destruction, but you sow to please the spirit, from the spirit you reap life, which essentially in that, like, if I continued in, maybe God would forgive me. And I'm certain that God would, every time I would ask, he would forgive me. But I'm living this real affected by sin life that is different than the life that I can live if I surrender those things and experience the life of Christ actually in and through me and the, the fruits of the spirit growing in me. And so that's one aspect. I think the other aspect that I see and have seen, unfortunately, with a lot of people is that your sense of God just dulls. And, and the scripture talks about this. So like when we engage in sin, we start grieving the Holy Spirit and the ability to hear from him and to know him and to discern him in his word it just gets dull. And so what I've seen with other people who just continue to practice sin is that they start believing that sin is just fine and it's actually good because their sense of, of what the Holy Spirit is telling them and what the Word is telling them gets dulled by their continued practice of sin. So for me, I would say that your risks, if you continue to sin and say, well, it's forgiven anyway, is that your sense of who God is and what he's saying to you is going to get dulled your, your continued risk scripturally is that, you know, if you continue to practice these things, there's that warning, you won't inherit the kingdom of God, which is why I said to my brother, I don't know your relationship with God, but I know that this concerns me deeply and I can't assure you that you're okay because of what the word says. And probably most important for me, I want to live the life that Christ died to afford me. I want to get every bit of, of relationship and intimacy with him that I can and I want my life to be a conduit of him. And I know that when I'm in sin, whatever the sin is, it, it interrupts that ability to do that. It just dulls it. And so that's why I choose not to do that for those very, very big reasons. I hope that somewhat answers your question. I think it kind of does. I think it also kind of clarified a little bit of my question that I didn't fully answer and just the way you explained it how repeating the sin is what would prevent you from inheriting the kingdom of God, but isn't the whole point of forgiveness so that you still can inherit the kingdom of God? So if it's already, even if it's repeated, because right. it's forgiven, even being repeated, would you still? Right, and, and that's a great question. And it goes to my point of like, at some point, if you continue in that, we get to this place in our consciences where we don't even want to ask forgiveness anymore because we just, we're fine mm -hmm. with it. And I think that's the dangerous part is God can forgive any sin, but God will not forgive a sin that isn't asked to be forgiven. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't force his forgiveness on anyone. And that kind of requirement of forgiveness is that you admit that you need forgiveness. 
And that's where the repeated pattern of sin, I've known in my own life where I got to a place with pornography or got to a place with, you know, other things where I'm like, I don't even think this is bad anymore. And I, that scared me because I'm like, oh, I'm not even asking for forgiveness anymore. And I know God will forgive me if I ask, but because God is so big on free will and so mm-hmm. big on not forcing anything on anybody, you know, the, the, the one unforgivable sin, I think, is the one you don't ask forgiveness for. And that really comes to that place where you start saying, I don't agree with what the Bible or what the Spirit of God says is right and what is wrong. And that's where I think that dangered practice comes into place. Because when someone practices a behavior, they're pursuing it. They're calling it good. And that's where you start getting into disagreement with the Word of God. And so that's one of the reasons why it's like, Yes, God will forgive any sin. And I've known people that have struggled with their behavior for years, but not once did it ever become to a place where they were like, actually, I think this behavior is good and I don't need to ask forgiveness for it. And then I've watched people who got into that place of just like, well, I'm good, I'm forgiven. And they got to the place where like, this isn't even a sin. I'm not going to, I don't need to ask forgiveness for this. This isn't a sin. And so that's where my concern gets with people. It's like, well, God can, of course, forgive anything. But we have to agree that it's something that needs forgiveness in order to receive that forgiveness. So you can see my concern. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think it's interesting because the first thing that I thought was how you mentioned it's not forgiven unless you ask for it because of free will and everything else. But something that I've heard, and I have no idea, I'm not very well educated in many things, which will come with time in terms of like reading and stuff like that. But something that I've heard is there's sins that are very common now. And I don't know if that's with Christianity or if more uh, Judaism or kind of where it falls down. But one thing I've heard is um, mixing different types of cloth or clothing would be a sin or just little things like that that we obviously do. (laughs) So how would that, like, do you think there's, things that got lost in translation that people just don't ask for forgiveness for because they're like oh either don't know about it or it's something like that or if it's not valid anymore how does that work right that's such a good question you're really a lot smarter than you than you just gave yourself credit (laughs) for because that's a great question i think that it's not so much in the interpretation as it is in the cultural context and the understanding of why those things were given by god when they were and what the, the importance and the, the issues were with that. Like, I'll give you an example of something that, you know, we wouldn't generally have a lot of concern about today of like when, and this is going to get a little gritty, so forgive. But um, <laughs> when the Lord was like, you know, circumcise your male children on the eighth day, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, right. So we, we wouldn't really care much about that today because circumcision is not the way that we identify as Christians anymore. So we wouldn't really identify that as an issue. But why would God say, do this on the eighth day? And knowing now in, with medical science the way that it is, we know that vitamin K, which is the blood clotting factor, kicks in on newborns on like day seven. So God, knowing how he made us, said, don't cut your children until day eight because their blood won't clot until day seven. So there are things that like might not make sense for us now culturally in a context, but in that cultural context, God asked the males of, of, of the Jewish race to be identified through circumcision. And so he gave a commandment that said, don't do it until this day or later, because he cares about us and wants us to not bleed to death in fulfilling his word. <laughs> so 
there are weird things like that where if you know the context and you know the historical context and you know sort of the, the revelation that comes later, then those things don't necessarily have as much punch now and or relevance, but they would have back then. Like the don't mix two versions of cloth together, that's, you know, a sin. Well, you have a, people that are traveling through the desert and there are specific, you know, there's there's specific types of mold and fungus and things that exist in that region. And one reality to that is that fabrics that are woven in different cloths, when affected by humidity and fungus, they tear easily and they degrade easily. So one of the things that the Lord was saying is make good clothes. You're not going to have a lot of them. So, <laughs> you know, there's, there's just different things that when you look at the historical, cultural and environmental context, they take on different meaning. And then you see the movement in scripture from Old Testament to New Testament, where Jesus says something along the lines of like, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, meaning to, to make this covenant that was laid out for his people to, to interact with and find atonement from God. Jesus wasn't getting rid of it. He was completing it. So we didn't have to do it anymore. Like one of the examples that I often share when people bring up the issue of homosexuality, it's like, well, Drew, you admitted to being gay. Bible says abomination, you know, you should be put to death. It's like, well, do we still require people to be put to death for homosexuality? And the answer is yes, Jesus because he didn't come to abolish the rule. He came to fulfill it, meaning he died for that sin for me. Like he died for every other sin that requires atonement and death. Like the word says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And so, you know, there's so many of those things that we go back and we look at the context, but we have to look at it as a whole. Like let the Bible interpret the Bible, not current culture try to interpret the Bible, let the Bible speak for itself. And when we see Jesus coming in, and fulfilling the requirements of the Old Testament for us, because we never would be able to, he afforded for us new life that we just get to take. And all the consequences that were spoken of in the Old Testament, he bore. And it's such a beautiful thing that says, whatever the bets were, they're all off. Now I can do something different with my life because of Jesus, because he did it all. Mm. So. Can I? Can I just ask a real quick clarifying question? Because scripture also says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, right, that you will be saved. Um, for the person who's given their life to the Lord, who's made that commitment, said, you know what, I, I believe, I confess, I, I repent. Um, is it for that person who's given it all and said, Jesus, I want it, I want your forgiveness, I know every day going kind of to what Mariah just said, we all sin, right? We all yep. have these things we don't even know. Uh, yeah. Jesus has paid it all. Um, I love what it says in Watchman Nee's books that walk stand where it says uh, the Christian walk is <laughs> about what's already been done. It's not the yeah. do, it's the done. Right. What he did was already done. So um, how how does that manifest itself in the daily walk of a believer who's, I mean, should every night they be going, Oh man, I did this sin and I did this sin and I did this sin. You're shaking your head. So would you just no, clarify no. that for a minute? Yeah. Well, I think number one, that would make our relationship with God be such a taskmaster performance-based relationship. Because if we're constantly trying to say, okay, how did I fail you today, God? That That's not the relationship God wants with us. And, you know, for me, like something I say often when I talk to pastors or parents and they're like, my kid's gay, how can we make them change? I'm like, <laughs> their sexuality may not be the first thing on God's priority list. Like there's a lot of other issues in our lives that God wants to address. 
And I think that when we're walking in relationship with God and we're in agreement with him, like you said, you know, we confess with our mouths. Confession isn't just about repeating words. Confession is agreement with the words that we're saying. It's where we say, this is true and I confess it. And so when we say Jesus is Lord and we're confessing that, it's not just the words of our mouth. It's that our lives confess it by what we do. Confession is, is about that position of agreement with who God says we are, who he says he is, and us aligning our lives with that. And it is that, um, that tension point, like you said, uh, you know, Watchman Nee and his statement, it's not about what, what we do, it's been what's been done. And I also love A.W. Tozer, where he talks about this, this idea of free will, working for our, our, out our salvation versus God doing it all. And he said it like really plainly, he goes, my salvation is 100% about what God has done, except for the tiny little part that's about what I do in response. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> who knows what, the, what that is? There's a mystery in it of, of invitation and response. And I think that that is what really I'm talking about when we talk about um, that question of like, how do we then confess when, when the Lord illuminates something in our heart that is something he is bringing truth to? We have a decision to make, whether we can agree with that truth and confess it, and that might mean confessing it as sin and repenting, or that might be confessing what the Lord is saying to do in our life and say, pursue this and, and live like this and saying, yes, I agree. And so um, I think the way that I know the Lord has worked with me is I will live my life, and because I'm connected with him and I'm pursuing him, he will bring things to my attention that maybe I wasn't at the maturity level or the stability to deal with and recognize he needed to address in my life until, until he got brought up. So it's like, you know, I don't see every gay person out there and go, your big, you know, issue is you need to surrender your sexuality. No. I mean, that might be on the list down the road as the Lord gains trust and, and develops deeper relationship. But, but what is the thing that the Lord's putting on your heart right now as you're beginning to pursue him? Is it listen to my word more? Is it, you know, taste and see that I am good? Well, the instruction there is take some risks and surrender some things that maybe might be risky where you don't know if the Lord is going to show up and provide or you don't know if he's going to show up and protect. But the invitation to say, try me out, try out this faith thing and see what it looks like. You know, examine the word, examine, examine the, the movement of the spirit throughout history and time and see what he's done and see what he's continuing to do. Like, there's an invitation in that. And so the way that my life with the Lord has worked is there's been moments of invitation, like that invitation to step into more, or invitation to lay some things down. And I don't normally concern myself with a lot of things, like, unless the Lord puts his finger on it. Because, you know, I, I'm not actively living in any sin in my life. And so if there's something that the Lord wants to put his finger on normally is for my benefit and for my growth and for the healing of someone else. So mm. that's how I, that's how I walk that out. Yeah, that's good. I'm trying to think of how to word this question because it kind of revolves around how you've mentioned multiple times, just uh, living intention. Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't want to say define that, but more of, like you mentioned just now, how you're not actively living in sin. How are you then living in tension? Right. If that makes so, sense. Like, yeah, totally. don't you get the tension from the sin or is that not? 
Well, no, no, no. I think there is tension in sin, but I think the greater tension that we exist in, in Christianity, if we're really doing it right, is that tension of truth and love. And you can see that in, in the nature of God, where you have like God's justice and God's mercy. You have his holiness and you have his gentleness. And they're not in conflict with one another, but to hold them together can feel like tension sometimes. So one of the ways that I live in tension is, you know, with my relationship, say, with my brother, where we very, very, very heartily disagree on these issues. And for a lot of people, that would spell like broken relationships. But I don't do broken relationships. So I will stay in relationship with people. And if there are points where I have to, you know, humble myself and say, yeah, I didn't do that right. You know, I will do that. Or if there's um, just valuing, valuing the expression and the embodiment of loving someone over needing to be right. And yet still holding on to my position of right, but doing that in a way that's loving and invitational. So that's not easy. And that's where a lot of the tension that I experience, I think, that I experience in life and in my relationship with the Lord and the church and the gay community. It's that like staying in the middle and staying in that place of, of approachability on both sides, but also honoring the, the dignity of both sides and trying to match it in the middle. When it comes to like sin and discipleship and all that, I think the tension is my immaturity and my desire to be more Christ-like. So like there are moments in my life where I run into something and my flesh will rise up, like where I feel you know, honestly, something like injustice. So I did a lot of traveling to Washington, D.C. this last month and talking to lawmakers about a bunch of stuff. And we don't always get very well represented or treated in those environments. And so my my justice bent in my heart is like, I want to respond. And the Lord's like, no, you don't get to. And so that tension of, of releasing that that emotional response or what might be a more immature or short-sighted response and surrendering to what the Lord wants me to do and how he wants me to respond. There's tension in that. <laughs> so that's what I mean more by tension. Can I just ask a real quick clarifying question again, Drew? Um, you mentioned that you don't do broken relationship, which I think is great, but there's plenty of people, maybe even someone listening right now who have broken relationships in their life, not because of something they've done, but because of a choice made by somebody else. So you just speak to that because I think I mean I'll just speak for myself um I have people in my life that I love who refuse to have relationship with me um and it's it it hurts and I don't Mm -hmm. do broken relationship either I mean Mm -hmm. I don't desire that I've pursued it whenever I have the opportunity when God puts that nudge on my heart but it every time you know um it's a trigger, right? It's a trigger for somebody who might be listening who goes, I guess I do do broken. Would you just speak to that? I will. I think that's hard. Because that also speaks to, I think, one of the ways that the Lord relates to us is we don't get to control people or their responses yeah. or how they, how, they, how they react to us. Um, when I say I don't do broken relationship is, you know, obviously there are, there are relationships that just don't get reconciled or they don't get put back together for one reason or another. But one of the things that I think the Lord asks of us as believers is that we remove every offense and every obstacle on our end Mm -hmm. that we can within health and within reason to make path for relationship if it's possible. So, you know, one way that I do that is like, I know that there have been people that have, you know, I've ministered to in the past, been very close to that then change their perspective and then they become hostile towards me. 
And, you know, I'm no different than I was the entire time. And that can feel, you know, again, that justice trigger in me. Um, but I know that if I hold that as an offense, then I'm blocking any opportunity for relationship to be there if there's a change in heart of that other person. And so I can't carry those offenses. So instead, what I will do is I will say, okay, Lord, what do I need to forgive? And then I just practice blessing that person. If they come to mind, if that offense comes to mind, instead of like, oh, they were wrong. I'm like, Lord, be with them. Draw them closer to you. You know, just try to pronounce blessing over them so that when the opportunity for reconciliation comes up, there's nothing in the way on my part that I can just be a person who can be like Jesus, which is so perfectly embodied in the prodigal father of just like at the end of the road, waiting for the son to come back and not having a list of the things of like, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you did this wrong, admit it, and then you can come back, but more like, yay, you're back, let's throw a party. So yeah. that's kind of the heart. I would say, thank you for bringing it up, because I want to bring one other thing. When I say I don't do broken relationships, that does not mean that I don't have good boundaries with people that aren't safe for relationship, because mm -hmm. there are people that hurt us in life that make really horrible self-centered choices, and God does not ask us to be vulnerable and, and unwisely vulnerable to people like that in our lives. So there have been people that have abused me in my childhood that are not repentant. And you know what? God bless you. I forgive you. And I will bless you from over here. But you're never coming over here. You know, you're, there's, a, there's a boundary and we don't need to cross it. So yeah. um, I think healthy relationship also looks like boundaries relationships. So. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mariah, I know you got more. I know you got more. I can see it. See, now I have like relationship questions. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> and this is like unrelated to like romantic relationships, but more of like personal. Um, yeah. What do you think of something when it's more of like how to go about it when it's broken because of other people? If that makes sense. Like if it's something that you didn't necessarily have control over or it's almost like a me or this other person type situation because I know that mm. it's for me personally I have a very specific relationship that um it is kind of like that where it's broken because of one person well I guess two people but <laughs> or it's broken in that way but then kind of trying to fix that brokenness or like have that relationship is pushing away the relationship that I'm closer to mm. Mm. So like, how do you kind of deal with that when it's almost like a me or this other person? Well, I think that you have to evaluate. And one thing I would say is evaluate why there is a ultimatum there. Like normally ultimatums in relationships don't really, that don't, they're not indicative of healthy relationships. So, you know, you have to ask the question of why is there that ultimatum of them or me in this to begin with? Is there history? Is there hurt? Is there, you know, things that have been done that have not been owned up to. I mean, there's, there's some, there's a broad question. So what I would say is what I would start with is evaluating both relationships and saying, okay, I don't want to necessarily foster relationships that are contentious like this, or a, you either love them or you love me. I think the, the one way that I could relate to that is when my parents divorced was really ugly. And so I felt a lot of pressure from my mom to be like, you don't get to, you know, you don't get to like him or his new wife. If you do, you're hating me. And it was putting me in this mm -hmm. ultimatum of like, if I choose to love my dad and his, his, my, my stepmom, then somehow I'm choosing to actively not love my mom. 
which is a lie from the pit of hell. That's, that's not how relationships work. And so one of the things that I had to do in that relationship is first to choose, like, I want relationships with both people. And so when I would experience that pushback from my mom, I just had to gently, you know, stand up to it and basically say, I don't know why you are putting me in a position where you are trying to make me choose, but I don't have to choose. And I can love my dad and I can love you. And if I love my dad and spend time with him, it's not taking time away from you or taking love away from you. And in the beginning, I'll be honest with you, she did not like this. So I had to then put some boundaries on, on the relationship from her end because anytime she would see me stepping over here, she would start attacking out of her insecurity. And so I just started saying like, listen, you don't actually get to know anything about this over here. In fact, you don't get to bring up my father's name. You don't get to talk to me about the past. You don't get to do anything because right now your hurt is causing hurt in our relationship and preventing me from knowing my father. And that's not okay. So I had to put boundaries on her, not because I didn't love her or what relationship with her, but because she was, she was not relating well to me because of my relationship with him. And so I had to take all that out of the equation until there was a point where she could be more civil and more healed about it and then could bring up those, those things. And it took a while, it took 10 years, but we got there <laughs> where I don't have to have those boundaries on it anymore and I'm not put in the position of having to choose. So I guess the long answer to that question is evaluate why you're being put in an ultimatum and are there hurts there that you don't need that input in your life. You don't need to carry the baggage of someone else's hurt, but you do need to be someone who can communicate your own boundaries well and still know how to honor people and their perspective while having your boundaries. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I believe so. Okay. It's definitely, I, I think it's a very, not very similar, but for me, it's pretty similar um, just in terms, because it is a parental relationship. But it's kind of like, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it before, but I found out I was adopted like a year ago. Mm. So, and that was only by one parent. So it's just very interesting kind of jumping back and forth. Um, and I know I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it because um, the biological friend that I'm not as close to is a Christian. So like that kind of mm. also moved into my interest of everything, which is the conversation that we haven't had yet, but we've kind of like talked about it. So yeah. it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry you're walking through that. That's hard. Yeah, I it's different. Um, I'm living with one parent right now and the other one's across country. So I think it'll be better once I'm kind of on my own and can figure it out instead of like being directly influenced by one person. It does help but when you have your own it's space. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's why I moved out when I was 14. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's unrelated to everything else, I think. But it definitely kind of sparked that just because that is something that's happening right now that's kind of a broken relationship in a sense. Yeah. So totally. I'm trying to think of another question to verge off of that that's not entirely random, but I can't think of anything. Because <laughs> I have another question that has nothing to do with this part of the conversation. You can ask it, Mariah. Go yeah, ahead. I um, like I like random. So kind of going back to everything else, um, is there a difference in the sin from the relationship or the sex? That's what I wrote down. But in terms of um, homosexuality, I know that it's mostly talked about how it's the sexual aspect to it. 
hmm. is a sin but what about the rest of it like could you in theory be a couple that just is abstinent and have it not be sin whatsoever that's a really good question and i think that what that speaks to more than for a lot of people i know what that speaks to is a fear that there there will be alone if they mm -hmm. if they agree with the bible on this and you know there's there's different groups of people that believe um and you know different streams of belief in this even on the like agreeing that this is sinful behavior there's mm -hmm. lots of different perspectives so um i think that any time that you are placing it, it would it would really depend on your motivation i think that if you have a good friend and you're like hey we're we're roommates we're doing this community living thing and that's like your motivation i think mm -hmm. that's actually super healthy and in fact i think the church needs to do a better job of creating community for people that are not married that do not live with families because the bible says he sets the lonely in families and so we need to let people in and experience more communal life which is i think what made the first century church so incredibly powerful and transformative in that in that culture was they were doing family and community really really well um so there's that aspect that like heck yes that 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 sounds great like definitely connect with people but the the problem is is when that becomes like a surrogate relationship where it's like an emotional spouse rather than a good friend and living in community because then there's you can start developing emotional dependency and codependency which for a lot of people i minister to is the gateway drug to sexual sin so you start like entangling emotionally and getting very close and intimacy has a has a forward motion where it wants to carry you to a logical designation so if the the approach is well if i just have a really good friend i can live my life with and be kind of like a non-sexual life partner with and that's life then i think that that isn't inherently sinful but it is very risky and i think that that's where like the word would say all things are permissible but not everything is beneficial where something mm -hmm. like that would fit into that line where it's like it's not sinful but it's certainly risky because if you start pouring your life into another person, attraction will develop. And mm -hmm. Satan is an opportunist. There will be opportunities to cross that boundary. And once you cross that boundary, it's really hard to go backwards. Hmm. If that makes sense. So, yes. yeah. I don't know. I think that's where I kind of see a lot of overlap with just sex being the sin, essentially, because from what I've heard in kind of what I understand is that's basically the basis of homosexuality being a sin is the sex but mm -hmm. if it's only based on the sex how is it very different from premarital sex well it's because not only that's also like right it's also a sin and just as mm -hmm. consequential I think that the the difference is it's not just about the sex like the sex is a major expression of this but one of the things that makes homosexuality a little different than heterosexual sin is that god's intention for sexual expression is very narrow and you see it in genesis which i heard you didn't think that was so good place to start and your podcast reading the bible because I mean, all the genealogy yeah, I, I think you know? it's i think it's i mean being 12 and just reading a list of names right? it's, no, like, it's just it's just a list and it's like oh this person and this person it right. makes no sense. <laughs> like, I'm 44 and I don't enjoy it. So I, I, I can appreciate a 12-year-old perspective, like, no thanks. But one of the things that you see in Genesis in the first couple chapters is, is the, the 
the creation of male and female. And you see this incredible interaction where, you know, he spells it out that, you know, there's male, female, man, woman, four different words. And even in the Hebrew language of describing what those words mean are very pictorial in nature about, and it kind of alludes to this fact of like one fits with the other, like they are two complementary sides of one image. And it talks about how male and female were created in the image of God in his image, he created them, male and female, he created them, but we're, we're different. And we reflect the image of God very differently as male and female. But then when we bring it together, we reflect a, a more full picture. And then you see in Ephesians 5, where Paul refers to, you know, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united together in one flesh with his wife, which he's quoting Genesis. And he says, this is a profound mystery. And I'm saying it refers to Christ in his church. So there's something here that is very sacramental about heterosexual union of male and female together that it's pointing to a deeper spiritual re revelation of Christ and his church and the relationship with that. So if you look at sexual union and marriage, as the scripture refers to it, as a picture of Christ and his church, as a sacred union that has been designed by God to reflect that nature, then when you go outside of it, whether it be um, you know, homosexuality, whether it be heterosexual promiscuity, whether it be adultery, whether it be pornography or prostitution, or any of the things listed as sexual sin, or even sexually broken things, then it distorts that image. And that's one of the reasons why homosexuality, it isn't just about the act of sex, but it's about the fact that God created male and female in his image to together reflect a bigger picture. And if we don't get to experience that, like, sacramentally here and now of like, I'm married to a woman and then I get to display that picture, we get to display that as Christ's bride as you know the bride of christ and jesus being our bridegroom we reflect that image as well and so when we talk about homosexuality when we talk about any variation what there's there's one aspect that is the act of sin but it's the other thing that it's not that we're re we're rejecting the image of god in us and how he created us to reflect his image in our sexualities when we go outside of his design and so there's there's different aspects of that so you know, with a heterosexual thing like that, where you have premarital sex and say someone gets pregnant outside of marriage, that's not God's intention. That's a very different consequence than what a gay couple would experience with their sexual relationship, where they won't make another baby, but they will be experiencing this union that isn't meant for that union. And so it's a lot. There's a lot of things. It's not just about the act of sex. And it does <laughs> a lot to unpack. And then it's what it tells us about who we are. When I, when I was engaged in homosexual behavior, you know, that was telling me something about my body and about the purpose of my body that I was reinforcing and learning wrongly. And then, you know, through the act of, of, of sex with another guy, it was, it was, it was creating memories and neuropaths and reactions to things that God never intended for me to experience. And it doesn't mean that it's the worst of all sins. It just means that it's one more thing that I have to then submit to the Lord and deal with the consequences of knowing that information and having experienced it and saying, well, God never intended me to experience that, but now I have, and I have to wrestle with that reality. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Drew, I, I want to ask you a question about something that I've seen floating around Instagram. Um, yes. Because I think that it's really interesting. Um, and actually a Christian, a couple of Christians have shared this. 
Um, it's this graphic. It says, pride is important because someone tonight still believes they're better off dead than being themselves. Hmm. I thought, wow. Uh, how do you respond to something like that? Because I think hmm. there is, I hear it a lot. Um, and it's interesting that I hear it a lot from Christians, like just let people be who they are because, uh, the suicide rates are so much higher for people who are in the LGBTQ community. Uh, the church is the one who's putting the struggle on people. I mean, it's, to be honest, it's coming from my, my friends who are Christians who become very progressive and very affirming of, uh, you know, and, and, and in the name of love, I'm putting quote unquote love, right? Because right. it's, we talked with Zach who talked about how that's harder for him in a lot of ways, uh, the mm -hmm. church that does this, but, I'm seeing it more and more for my Christian brothers and sisters, this idea of just affirm it already. You're the one creating the problem. And I'm wondering how you respond to that. Um, yeah. 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 I Go ahead, Maria. Add I, on say, I think something to add to it um, and something I've heard my dad say, which, like I said, I don't think he has very many Christian beliefs anymore. He might. He just doesn't really talk much about it anyways. Something that he says, and this kind of goes towards like gay marriage and relationships in general is how a lot, like divorce is a lot more common. And he's basically been like, you know, if straight people are just kind of divorcing and not really doing it this way, then let other people kind of try. And kind of that same sentiment of, you know, if we can't do it right, why not just try this, you know? Sure. So I guess sure. to kind of like add to that, I, I don't know if that, <laughs> I probably didn't even quote him right, but just the same kind of idea of like, you know, straight people can't do it right let, let them do whatever they want <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i get it i get it from a from that perspective i certainly understand it and i and janelle i appreciate you bringing this up because it is it's it's everywhere and it needs to be addressed um so there are two different things there so i'm gonna go back to janelle's and i'll get to yours Maria, in a minute um but <laughs> it's gonna be a long episode sorry <laughs> it's gonna you know what i love it i love it so um I think that one of the things that we have to wrestle with in this response is that there's a difference between culture and Christianity. Like, um, so for example, this, this question of, you know, better to, you know, pride is important because it's better than wanting or being told you need to kill yourself. Well, that's not, that message is not coming from Christianity. That message is that Jesus died because he loves everybody and he loves sinners when they're still sinners. And he came to redeem. And so, you know, the message to kill yourself is not coming from the church, not currently. And if, if there is anyone in the church who's saying that message, let me tell you, you are not reflecting Jesus. So let's just claim that right now. Um, so the statistics on suicidal ideation and, and completion of suicide is higher in the LGBTQ community um, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, it's important to distinguish the difference between correlation and causation. So correlation is when something is happening in a particular group of people and it's, let's say like suicide, it's higher in that particular group of people. So that's correlation. Causation is when you say, well, why? Why are people then killing themselves? Um, and what is happening a lot in culture is they wanna draw the conclusion of causation for us to say, well, if, if this, then this would be better. So. This happened in the 70s when the gay rights activists act up and all of them, they said, well, there will be less suicide and there'll be less uh, consequences in culture if 
the APA or the American Psychological Association will remove homosexuality as a mental disorder. And so mm -hmm. they, they pushed and got removed and statistics didn't change. And, you know, you say, well, okay, so the, now the logical argument is, well, if culture were more accepting, if culture were more uh, accepting and embracing of homosexuality or sexual deviations outside of heterosexuality, then the suicide rates would go down. And that's been the, 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 the heart behind this and now putting it on the church of like, see, you're the ones being judgmental because culture is on board. And if the church stopped being judgmental, then less people would kill themselves. Well, the statistics for suicidality actually come from like the Netherlands and Belgium, that, that general area of the world, which is arguably and has been arguably the most like accepting and affirming of homosexuality as a culture. And the suicide rates are exactly what they've been. Mm -hmm. Where, um, and, and this also comes from like the, the then further argument for the transgender individuals, like, which we're seeing now in our culture is like, we must let people transition because if we don't, they're gonna kill themselves because they're not in the right body. Well, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, you have a 40% suicide rate or, or suicidality rate for post-surgical transsexual. The statistics don't change in cultures that are permissive and, and cultures that are embracing of homosexuality or, or sexual deviation. In fact, they remain very high. Hmm. And some of the studies that have come out that have been promoting the idea that, like, say, someone like me with a message like mine would cause more people to, to commit suicide because I'm saying, you know, their life is sin and blah, 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 blah. Well, the, there was a huge study, thousands upon thousands of subjects that basically were saying, did you experience conversion therapy? Did you, did you go through that? And did you want to commit suicide? And the results that were put out years back were like, see, this causes more suicidality. But they just released the actual data. And almost all the people that, that were demonstrating suicidality were, were found to have been demonstrating this before experiencing any therapy. And what they actually found statistically that people that went through therapy for homosexuality or whatever the sexual deviation was, they were 80% less likely to kill themselves or to commit suicide than those who did not go through a therapeutic process to try to address their sexuality. Hmm. So I share all that to say, when we see these, these, these statements, the the real important thing that we have to do as believers is understand the difference between correlation and causation because there's an enormous amount of pain represented in the lgbtq community and it's not just because the bible says that homosexuality is a sin there's so many other correlating factors that play into this 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 deep-seated brokenness and pain that says i would rather die than live my life um the rates of experiencing of sexual abuse and sexual assault are higher in that community. The rates of homelessness and drug addiction are higher in that community. And not saying this is, you know, their fault, it's just there. And so what we as the church have to do is we have to look at the multitude of factors that go into why people struggle with sin, period, and say, what do we as the church have the responsibility as ambassadors, ambassadors of Jesus what do we have responsibility to do to start addressing some of those other things that are happening? Like, for instance, homelessness in youth in the gay community. I would really love it if the church would stop getting, like, stop focusing on the morality issue of homosexuality and say, let's sponsor a homeless shelter for gay youth as a church. Mm 
-hmm. not to try to convert anybody, not to try to, you know, make them address their sexuality, but just because we see this as an issue and we as a church need to step in and, and alleviate the pain. You know, if we really want to be the church that wants to address why people are hopeless and, and suicidal, address the other issues other than sexuality. But we don't have to surrender the sexual issue. We just know that, again, it might not be the first thing on God's priority list, where if we see someone hurting and in pain, we don't start with, well, you need the gospel. You might start with, you need a coat or you need a place to sleep tonight, or you need a drink of water, or, you know, you need something that helps you feel safe enough that maybe someday we can address these other issues that we can't get to until we address the real, more present issues in your life. That makes sense? Yeah. So yes, by all means, let's love people and let's, let's understand the difference between a world that has its own beliefs and a church. Like in a, if we want to address culture, let's start with addressing the church which goes to Maria, your question or your statement of like, yeah, the church has screwed up their ability to do marriage well. So maybe before we start trying to dictate to culture how they should define marriage, we as a church should address the fact that we're not doing it well either. Yeah, I find it interesting because I was actually reading something and I'm pretty sure it's in Luke. It's, if it's in Luke, it's probably multiple places, but it basically was saying how with marriage, if there's a divorce and then they remarry, whoever they're remarrying is committing adultery with them. You know, that's basically. a good one. And I know, you... that, and I know that there's like exceptions to like, obviously like if there's abuse, you're allowed to get a divorce and that's fine. But in that sense, that's something that I've never heard, but I thought it was just interesting. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> just opening every can of worms you can find. <laughs> and I love it. You know, in the scripture, in the Old Testament, there were actually two words for divorce and one which had this connotation of like breaking the covenant. And the other was a, like this connotation of abandonment and like, like, um, you know, leaving someone vulnerable and alone for no good reason. And that's the kind of the connotation that that word had. And whenever the, the scripture speaks to the Lord hating divorce, it's always that one that abandonment and like the, the rejection of responsibility and rejection of covenantal love. Um, the other one, even God says at one point, I'm going to divorce you people because I'm sick and tired. <laughs> like where is more that, that not the abandonment one, but the, like the break, the break this covenant kind of situation. Um, so yeah, there's, there's different things and different reasons why people divorce. And I'm a pastor and I'm, you know, very, very passionate about the Bible and marriage and sexuality and, you know, if Jesus were to address every single reason why someone could or could not divorce back in first century Palestine, that that one would play out for us here today, it wouldn't have made sense to his original audience. So you have to look at like mm -hmm. when he says for marital infidelity, like there's a reason why that is grounds for divorce. Well, if we look at it in our current context, there's a lot of marital infidelity that could happen today that wouldn't have happened, wouldn't have had a cultural context for it back then. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot to that. But when he talks about the, you just divorce this person, you go get married to someone else, what that's referring to is that person who's just abandoned their marriage and started like hooking up with other people. And those other people that he's hooking up with makes them an adulterer too, because this person is still married. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's not, again, it's not like this threat that God's saying, it's more like this, 
this matter of fact statement of like, if you're married and you don't have a right reason to be divorced and you start sleeping with other people and getting married to them, you're actually just committing adultery with these other people and they're adulterers too. It's not a, how dare you? It's a, well, this is what you do when you do that. Mm -hmm. So if that makes sense. I also find it interesting how it's marriage is a, a mortal concept, basically, because later in Luke, and this time I'm positive because I read it today, <laughs> um, it was talking about a woman, and I'm pretty sure you mentioned it in your other episode, basically how before, if the husband died and they didn't have children, then she'd marry a brother, and it talked about how this woman had married seven brothers, they all died, she died, they ended up not having any kids whatsoever, and then the question was who she married to. And then yeah. it said, once we pass on, there is no marriage because we're all equal and right. children of God and how it, it was interesting because it made marriage such a mortal concept, which again, it is, but for something that's just, you know, till death do us part, once you die and you're not married anymore, for it to be such an influential and big thing, hmm. it's weird that it's only immortal. Yeah, but I mean, I think that I think that when you look at it like this, like all that we know right now is our mortal mm -hmm. existence, and so we could look at it and go like, oh, it's just mortal. But that's all we know until we get to heaven, and so mm -hmm. it's that it's that proving ground where it's like I said, marriage is sacramental, where it, it's pointing to a bigger spiritual reality. Much like if you take communion, that's a sacrament, mm -hmm. so it's not actually like we could debate the catholics and us you know the protestants could debate or whether or not it is the blood of jesus and the body of jesus i'm not even gonna go there but what i am going to say is that there's something that that's pointing to as well that um it, it's pointing to a marriage feast it's pointing to this reality that we're going to experience this communion with god in heaven that we experience right now in these little elements it's like okay this is reminding me of something to come this is reminding me of something bigger spiritually that this doesn't actually carry the weight that this in the future does, but it's pointing there. And if I change it in any way, it's pointing to a wrong direction or, or skewing what it's pointing to. And so I love that passage where it talks about, well, she married all these different people. Who's her husband? It's like Jesus. Jesus mm -hmm. will be her husband in eternity, just like Jesus will be mine in eternity because I'm the bride of Christ. And all that we experience here and now is pointing to it and trying to illustrate it, but it's going to pale in comparison to what it is. So, yeah. Speaking of mortal things, I wanted to ask you this question as we wrap up here a little bit. Um, you know, I had a co-host back in February, and she said something that I thought was just really honest. She's like, yeah, and I'll misquote her because I always do uh, misquote people, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but Tori. Um, she basically said, yeah, like the story of Jesus is great, but like in the middle of the night when I'm lonely or when I'm crying in my pillow, like how mm -hmm. is that good for me then, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing that I guess I wanted to just kind of bring this whole conversation around to is, Drew, you shared in our first episode with Lou that the gospel was better. Yeah. It was better. But for somebody listening, I have, I have like my own answer for that question. <laughs> you do, <laughs> but it, but it's probably like less informed and no, less I would, whatever. Why don't you answer it first? Like why? I'll ask you, Mariah, and then Drew can answer it. Why would you give up relationship with your girlfriend for for Jesus? Like why would you give up like your friends, your relationships, 
uh, the community that you have now to follow after Jesus? Well, that's a very big question because I haven't really done that. But (laughs) I think for me, already I kind of have my answer first. That is what I end up choosing to do. Um, And even just smaller things, I think it's just really based on hope, I guess. Because realistically, it's you have faith that this is true and that Jesus loves you and he died for you. And so, and it's already been mentioned, you know, to kind of live in that and what he died for so it's kind of more of having that and then I also watched a movie I can't remember what it was but it basically was saying you know um that Jesus loves you and that kind of is more than anybody else can give you and so in a way it's if you have faith that this is true it's almost like a hope thing I guess Hmm. I I don't think I answered that very well (laughs) I think you did great it makes it um yeah, I guess because it's more of like a light at the end of the tunnel type thing, which that's literally <laughs> what people are like, oh, heaven, it's light at the end of the tunnel. But I think that's really just kind of what it is, is if you picture your mortal life as kind of the tunnel and then it's the light that you're walking towards. Hmm. Hmm. I appreciate that answer from you. I appreciate that. I I will see your answer and I'll raise you. Um, <laughs> I think that when I talk about Jesus being better than, than anything else, I think that, you know, there is that aspect that, that if I, you had asked me this question at 19, I would have probably had a almost identical answer that yeah, you did, Mariah. I'm, I'm 20, so. Well, you know, <laughs> From totally. a 20-year-old's aspect that doesn't really go to church, but I definitely believe in this, so. <laughs> you know, it's not even about going to church as much as it is about, like, for me, um, back then it would have been hope. It would have been all hope. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen so much evidence in my life and what God has done in my life and through my life and through the lives of others, that it's not just even hope. It's like, I've seen evidence and I know what God does. And I think that one way that I would, I would probably classify that uh, is, you know, I shared before, I didn't leave homosexuality because I was told it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was a sin. And I I agreed with it, even though I was still in it. But in Luke 17, verse 33, it says this, whoever will seek to save their life will lose it. But whoever will lose their life for my sake will truly find it. And that that got me. That got me on, on in my feels. And it, it started, like, making me evaluate the way that I was living my life and what I was trying to construct in my life and through my own choices. And it also made me reflect back on, my parents' life and the lives that affected me and looking at their lives and their choices through that lens of like, they're just trying to build their life, but they're doing it their way. And a lot of it really hurt me and came to destruction. Um, So if that makes sense, like, I think this plays even to some of the questions you were asking on your first episode about like, why does God let bad things happen? If God is so loving, why does it like, like there's, a lot of the like, is God in control kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And what I begin to see in that is, is the difference between control and sovereignty and how me saying God is so good, you know, and me being able to affirm the scripture that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not just in eternity. I see it here and now. Um, I've seen how God has taken everything in my life, every bad choice and every, every mistake 
and he's taken even all the things that were done to me that weren't my choice and circumstances that I found myself in because of the bad choices and the free will of other people. God has taken all of those things in my life and he has redeemed them powerfully for his purposes. And so I see it over and over and over again in my life and in the lives of, of those who I see surrendering their lives to Jesus, where it's not just that he's this good hope for the future someday. It's that my life here and now is being transformed by the goodness of God. And that's not something I can manufacture on my own. I've tried. I've really, really tried and never been able to do it. And yet God has consistently done it. And so when I look back at Mike, knowing the goodness of God and knowing his process in my own life, he's just been better. He's been better than anything I could try to manufacture. He's been better than any happiness I could try to achieve on my own, on, on my own way and my own, my own devices. He's just been better. And when I live each day growing in him more and more and learning of him more and more and feeling closer to him more and more every day and seeing his impact on my life and the way that he redeems just about everything in my life, I, there's no other choice. There's no other choice but to surrender to him because he's that good. And for me, I know that for someone who lives in and identifies as LGBTQ, that is a big risk because it really is surrendering just about every aspect of your life. You have to surrender your identity. You have to surrender your future. You surrender your community. You surrender your, your individual right to live as you feel like you should. And in order to surrender to a God who may or may not change you. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a big risk. But even with that risk, Jesus has just proved better than anything I could do on my own. So... That's where I land. I can say no more. (laughs) I find it interesting because the more people I talk to, I've noticed, obviously, there's a difference between me talking at 20 versus everyone else I've talked to is older than me. So they've had more life experience and just even growing up at a different time, it gives you just a different experience. And I think it's interesting how everybody interprets things and even how their viewpoint has changed because everyone I've talked to has basically said, you know, I agree with that, that, you know, that's kind of where I was. And so I find it interesting. And even mentioning how you did, um, I forgot exactly what it was, but it was in Luke. (laughs) Um, And saying that basically is whatever you search for, you're going to find it, whether that's something that you're kind of living for in this life or something that you're kind of searching for in the next one. And I think it's interesting to kind of see Mm. how even other people have said, you know, basically it almost seems like we follow that. Like we start off as this is this life and this is what matters. And then we kind of start questioning things. And then as we get older, we move into, oh, this does matter for the next life. And I find it really interesting because that does, from what I've just seen of other people, it seems that that's basically what the transition is, Mm. is kind of going from now and kind of living for a mortal life versus living for more than just that. So it's interesting mm-hmm. as people get older and interpret things differently. Well, it certainly is about pursuit. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Like when you, when you have a perspective, uh, if you're living just for the, for now, mm-hmm. like now is all there is and you're going to, you're going to live YOLO. for that. You're going to live for what pleasure. <laughs> yeah. YOLO. You know, it's like, no, 
but if you gain that perspective that like you know this is compared to eternity this is nothing like this moment in time is is not a lot from our perspective now it's everything mm -hmm. and it's a lot and it's intense but eventually it'll look like nothing compared to eternity and you know i have found that pursuit is way more powerful in life than resistance so often i think that when people approach this issue like the homosexual issue and if they're a person of faith or if they're they they have been a person of faith or they start being engaged in faith what you can start trying to do is resist like homosexuality or resist the stuff rather than getting a vision for god what is it that you want me to pursue because pursue is stronger mm -hmm. pursuit is stronger than resistance and I think the shift for me in my life that made this difference was when I was younger and a person of faith struggling with this, I was resisting it and I was resisting like embracing this, which put me in a weak position and ultimately made me fall right into it because I had no vision for what I wanted outside of resisting this. And then when I was confronted by the Lord in my gay relationship and let it go, it wasn't because I was just resisting the relationship. It was because God put something in front of me that was better, something to pursue. And that was the life that he wanted for me. And, and so I just encourage you, Mariah, like you're, you're a girl that you are looking for answers and you are looking for, for truth and you're looking for life. And I just want to encourage you to, to look for what God wants you to pursue. And what is he laying out in front of you? And what, what, is, what is the life that he's inviting you to? Because I think you'll get a lot of traction in your spirituality if it becomes about pursuing him rather than like trying to figure it all out or, or, or resist this or resist that, but rather pursuing the heart of God. You never go wrong when you pursue the heart of God. Yeah. I know, I think it's interesting. I think a big reason why I'm at where I'm at and just kind of asking so many questions, I think, like I said, kind of goes back to, I learned I was adopted a year ago. And as you can imagine, that kind yeah. of flips everything. And then, you know, I haven't heard both sides of the story because I just haven't really had the chance to have that conversation. And it's better to have face-to-face -face conversations, which is a big reason why I haven't really heard both yeah. sides. And so yeah. for that, and just kind of hearing it, it almost sounds more like other people's decisions have always kind of determined like, how I understood my life and my identity to be and it almost yeah. doesn't feel well, I don't know because I can't say oh it was God's plan to like do this I feel like in me finding out that probably was more of God's plan than anybody else's but in terms of like mm -hmm. everything else I can't say you know was this God's plan for it or was it just certain people deciding what I should and shouldn't know mm -hmm. and so I think that's a big thing is just having that much in my life and even then it's not a big thing but it's a pretty big thing to have that just kind of flipped upside down yeah. and completely different than what I thought I had known for 19 years I yeah. think that's a big reason why it's something that I've been kind of pursuing now because it's more truthful in a sense like it's not it's not changing and I don't think it's something that yeah. will change that drastically <laughs> Well, too, you know how we were talking with Alicia last week about the hound of heaven pursuing you. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that your biological mother was a Christian, but yeah. I would almost guarantee that somebody has been praying for you, you know, and um, 
I mean, I don't know your story or anything, but I, every week that you tell me that God is like dropping these little nuggets in your life uh, and you're so excited to share them and even the enthusiasm that you bring to this um, journey, um, it's real and genuine. And I know that you have mixed feelings. Mm. Um, I know that as we, as we know, right, there's things in your life that you're like, do I really want to give this up? Maybe not, right? Uh, do I have to? You know, those kind of things. Yeah. We all wrestle with those things, right? We, we all have different things. That it's like, man, I don't know if I want to give this up. Um, but what Drew just shared with you, that Jesus is better. Um, you know, I just hope that you go back and you listen to these episodes again, Mariah, and, and never doubt that Jesus he's after you. I mean, I, I love that mutual pursuit, right? Like the Bible says, therefore I stand at the door and knock to anyone who lets me in. Right. But he is knocking hard on the door of your heart. And it's so evident to me, uh, just watching this journey, even like you telling me that you really wanted to talk to Drew, but you didn't tell me, you didn't tell me. I I was scared to invite him. he, he, He was a big reason why I agreed because I remember listening to it and thinking, I would love to talk to this man, but anybody like him, that'd be okay too. <laughs> like, just as I think for me, and I know I've talked to you, I don't know if I've mentioned it in any of the recordings, but something that's been very important to me, I probably have, I think you've asked me this, but just important to have is someone that's able to have this conversation and not necessarily condemn me for it or look at me and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to tell you that this is wrong and you shouldn't do it. And that's all I'm going to say about it, you know, because <laughs> I think that is, right, you know, right. you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to be like, oh, it's fine. Go do whatever. You don't have to tell me that. But I also don't think that you should just not, I don't want to say not address it, but I don't think I'd appreciate it if somebody just kind of completely shunned off one part of my life and just refused to address it otherwise. Because I think it's definitely a conversation and not just something that should be like, oh, don't do it, but we're not going to talk about it otherwise. I don't know if I'd say that. Right, right. I mean, you explained it, you explained it beautifully and I get it because it is, it's just a matter of respecting you as a person Mm -hmm. and respecting that this is your journey. And when people just want to diagnose you and like fix it, now you're, you're a problem to fix and not a person to love. And you're, you're definitely a person to love. And I've really enjoyed your questions and really enjoyed, um, and honestly, I'm honored that you'd want to talk to me. So hooray, we did it. <laughs> and uh, I just, uh, I just want to encourage you as well, like with this, with the questions, I think they're so, they're so important for every one of us to wrestle through these questions of, of trying to understand God's heart for us. And, you know, it gets wrapped up sometimes in God's will and did, you know, is this, is what this person did God's will? And is it this person did God's will? I mean, I, I had to wrestle yeah. that out with my own understanding of God of like, what about the person who abused me? Mm-hmm. Like, was that God's will that he would abuse me? And, and ultimately God's heart for us is always good. His heart for you is good. Like anything good that happens to you, that's yeah. God's heart. Well, so I'm like, you know, I can't, I and, can't tell if it was good or bad because on some stances I'm like, well, I wasn't told because people didn't want to have me know. But then on the other hand, I have to look at how I was as a kid and just knowing that if I had known, I probably would have used that to hurt my parents. Mm-hmm. So it's probably good. I mm-hmm. didn't know at the time I did because I definitely had some difficult moments where that probably would have been thrown in their face, which 
is not good that, at all, but yeah. as a child, you know. So it's probably good that I didn't know at certain, right. certain points. But then I also look back and it's like, you know, I kind of wish I had known. But so there's definitely, I can see where it'd well, be good. <laughs> I, th- I think the best place to look and to place your hope is God's redemption. Because there are always going to be things that happen to us that are, we could, we could spend eternity trying to figure out the goodness or wrongness or rightness or badness of, of them. There's just too many variables. But to place your hope in God's redemption, that no matter what happened, can God use it and turn it beautiful? And that's, that's where I think one of my favorite passages of scripture is Isaiah 61. And it just is based, God's like laundry list of his tasks. Like, I'm going to set the prisoner free. I'm going to bring you know, beauty for ashes. I'm going to bring peace for despair. I'm going to bring gladness for mourning. Like this is what he says he does. And in that he says, you know, for our former places of shame, I'll give you a double portion of grace. And for things long devastated and ruined, I will rebuild a fortified city. And it's just that God that, that we have, that no matter what happens or what has happened, he has the ability to bring so much beauty and glory and grace out of it. And so that's my prayer for you in this. And I'll be praying for you on this because I know that was, that revelation is a lot and it carries a lot of implications for your life and for your understanding of who you are and your relationship with your parents. But what I will be praying is that God reveals his redemption in it so that no matter whether what they did was right, wrong, or could have been better or could have been worse, that you will see mm-hmm. the goodness of God out of it. Not necessarily in what happened, but in what he brings through it. Yeah. Yeah. You got the final question there, Mariah. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of the four gifts you can find in Jesus Christ, which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Oh, is that for me? <laughs> Do you want me to repeat the question? You repeat the question. I was like, well, she's going to answer this. I mean, I can answer it. Okay. I'll go off my answer first. I would say right now, probably just the restoration part, which we kind of talked about it because I think there's a lot of things, even just aside from like what's been basically the topic, main topic, Pride Month, everything else, besides everything that just kind of just with my family and how things have changed. So yeah, I think there's restoration we've found in that. Okay. Yeah, I think... Gosh, it's so hard to choose between restoration, authenticity, love, eternity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all great. I love them all. I think that in my life, it's it's got to be restoration mm-hmm. because that, I think, that for me is, it speaks so much to the redemptive nature of who God is, that even the things that Satan meant to destroy me, God turns right around and makes them work for my good. And that's been that's been probably one of the greatest life versus is Romans eight twenty eight. you know, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And what it doesn't say is that all things are good because not all things are good, but God's ability to restore and redeem absolutely everything is probably the, you know, the, 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 the biggest part of my foundation of faith, because it is, I don't have to fear anything that happens because whatever happens, God can redeem. And I don't have to fear any attack because whatever happens, God can redeem. And living the life that I live with, with the difficulty of the ministry that I do, I think that that's one of the biggest blessings from the Lord is I can trust in his, 
redemptive, restorative grace. So yeah, mm. there it is. So good. Well, Drew Barriessa, Mariah, thank you guys so much for being here. I just feel really grateful uh, to get to steward these great conversations and um, just really appreciate you both for your boldness and authenticity and yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm feeling blessed just by getting to sit here and I hope whoever's listening feels awesome. the same. Mariah, that was so awesome. Thanks for sharing today. Yes, thank you for talking to me. <laughs> Until yeah. next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.